Hello, and welcome to the Curious Artist Podcast. This is a show for artists and art lovers where I interview a diverse group of artists in order to get at the deep questions of the art world. In this episode, I interview Christopher McIntyre Perceptions, a self-taught Milwaukee native who is also known as CMP. He interlaces art, revolution, and spirituality into one artistic focus, and he is rooted in Christian foundations. Christopher beat the odds by the grace of God. Coming from a split family where Christopher's father was a drug dealer and his mother was an evangelist, he lived in two worlds at once. With this, the only outlet that gave him peace was the arts. He was the youngest artist in the Milwaukee Art Museum's Wisconsin 30 exhibit in 2013. He directed, co-produced, organized, and performed in Broken Genius, a multidisciplinary production in 2014. And he self-published an ebook called Memories and Visions in 2015, with plans to publish three more ebooks in 2016. Lastly, Christopher is revealing his musical nature by releasing a body of work called On Notice via SoundCloud on July 21st, 2016. Hi, Carly here with CMP. Uh, why don't you tell me about yourself, your background, what you do, and what brings you up to this point? First and foremost, thankful for this opportunity. And uh, I just want to make sure that everything is, is proper on my end. So um, again, thank you for this opportunity. I am Christopher McIntyre Perceptions, artist, businessman, creative. Yeah, that's pretty much it. How I got my start. That's a little bit longer story. Um, it pretty much started from me being uh, a young man growing up in a, a very volatile environment, but having this God-given gift of just creativity, whether that's in the form of writing uh, nonfiction or fictional novels when I was like a, a little kid that never were published, or um, me just being into spoken word and rap and filming and, and things like that. And then to actually be a 13-year-old who was able to have access to a lot of this equipment and started me on a path of audio engineering and ultimately photography. That's how I fell in love with art, black and white photography, like Gordon Parks, um, Ansel Adams, things like that. And then it just grew from there for me. So I've, uh, I've been on this art path ever since. And it's manifested it in several ways in a, a production that took place in 2014 and creative consulting and partnerships and alliances with various organizations and all of that. It all started from a camera and a prayer. That's great. Uh, how did you get your first uh, camera? I, I've seen that video you have on Facebook. It's really mm -hmm. nice. Thank you. It pretty much happened like that. Like someone let me use their camera which is uh, my mentor, John Daniels III. And through his nonprofit Alive, uh, I was able to have access to these things and um, just working and trying to save. And uh, when I was younger, I, I didn't have uh, as much wisdom as I do now. I used debt to leverage the opportunity for me to get a camera. So I got a credit card and I bought a really okay camera and I eventually paid it off and that's how it started for me. But before that, it was a, a camera phone. Wow. That was must have been a long time ago. I don't know how old you are now, but back then the camera phones were not that good <laughs> from what Correct. I remember. <laughs> uh, it was the first iPhone, I oh, wow. think. I think. If not that one, it's the one right before that. No, it wasn't the iPhone. It was, it was like samsung blackjack or something like that it was a really old phone and i just went by the lake when i was about 17 or 18 and i just i let my thoughts um kind of just speak to me in a sense like we we live in this day and age where yeah. you have so much to distract you where you don't even have time with your own thoughts so yeah i just i got away from all the noise and i just began to think and i began to ponder within myself like i could do this i could I could do this. And then I just got up. I started taking random pictures and it continued to go on. And that's where I got a camera and all that other stuff. I was 18 years old. That's when wow. I really started. And I'm that's 26 good. now. Yeah. Oh, you're younger than I thought you were. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like you're married and I'm like 30 now and I'm no, no, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up fast. Yeah. I like your wife, by the way. I, I met her a few times. 
Yeah, I like her too. She's all right. <laughs> How'd you guys meet? We met when I, ironically enough, when she graduated high school and I was finishing high school. She's older than me. And we met outside of a youth gathering. So it was really impromptu. And the way she says it is, oh, well, I thought he was cute. So I just wanted to take a picture with him. And we, I said hi and we met and uh, took a picture and we were introduced to like a mutual friend at the time. And uh, that's how that happened. Okay. And um, I'm not sure where this conversation is going because this is, like I said, it's going to be more of a conversation than an interview. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so I know you, the circumstances of you growing up weren't exactly ideal for people that aren't in Milwaukee. Do you want to describe what it's like, you know? Um, um, yeah, for sure. I think the best thing that I could say in reference to it is um, it's just hard. Like, it's it's hard to, to grow up in, in certain circumstances where um, you might not have the economic standpoint that you or your parents would have wanted. Um, it's also harder to grow up in that environment and be an African-American. Um, and in, I'm seeing a, a national narrative where like, a lot of these tragedies take place. And if they're dealing with race, I see comments where people are like, oh. Hold on, I think you broke up. I can't hear you. Various perspectives where I think I think with America, this narrative of don't play the race card, don't play the race card. It generally comes from people who aren't black and people who may or may not like have a sense of guilt. But if we were to just look at American history, like not even just African-Americans, we all come from humble beginnings. But for the native man and the African man. Um, our narrative within America has always been uh, tarnished with tears and blood and sweat, um, even to the point where Michelle Obama says, I live in a house that was built by slaves. That's crazy. Um, so if we were to put that in perspective with Milwaukee, the supposed most segregated uh, city within the United States, it's, it's hard growing up in that environment because you, you have to develop a, a love for yourself. Because there's so many variables around you where people who claim to have your best interest, they just want you because of diversity numbers or to, to get certain statistics up and photo ops and all of that. So when you see that growing up, you're kind of just like, dang, that's all I'm good for. So for me, it was hard. I wrestled with depression a lot. I was suicidal when I was younger. Um, I struggled with substance abuse for a little bit. It was bad. It was really bad. But um, when I gave my life to to the Lord, to Jesus, that's when things changed. And I started to get a lot more opportunity, strangely enough. Like um, I used to be a drug dealer. And when I really like just gave up, I'm like, okay, God, I see you're sending me messages. I was in California. I was living in California for about a year. And I was with an old buddy of mine. And we were, <laughs> we were doing things, I should say, like illegal things to the point where we were downtown in LA and there was an unmarked car taking pictures of us. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I just sank down in my seat and then I, I got up, the truck had left or whatever. And I looked on the sidewalk, there's this beautiful homeless woman, not beautiful in the sense of like her face, but her countenance, like her vibe was just, it was beautiful. It was just very beautiful. And she just looked really sad in the face. She was carrying this huge cardboard sign. And as I like kind of blinked a couple more times, it was a cardboard cross. It was huge, probably from ceiling to wall. And it just said, Jesus saves. And I lost my mind. I'm like, what? And I'm, I'm shaking my dude on my, uh, in the driver's side. Like, yo, look, look. He's like, look at what? He didn't see it. And I looked, she was gone. So I'm like, that, that was an angel. Oh, my goodness. And I just, I got out. And I started changing my life and I was able to do some things, man. And here I am. That's kind of the, the short story long of it. I go in greater detail in my book, but yeah. And we can mention the book later. I mean, I didn't know you had, oh yeah, you do have a book. <laughs> I have no memory. <laughs> I didn't no, do too cool. much research before this because I wanted to be like real, the conversation, you know? Yeah. So I can learn as the audience learns. So yeah, that's say. cool. I have so many thoughts. Like, how old were you when you went to California and had the, had, when you were saved, for lack of a better word? 
I went out there in 2012. So 26 now. I came back. I was 23 when I came back. So 22, oh, 21, wow. 22. That's young. So I'm assuming you didn't go to art school. <laughs> Is that no, a basic assumption? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was um oh, that was a hard path. Like I actually was almost pushed in that direction of you need to go to art school, you need to go to art school. But it happened at a really weird time when I was in the Wisconsin thirty, um, thirty Americans exhibit yeah. at the Milwaukee Art Museum. A lot of people were introducing me to people from various art schools. I'm not going to say which ones. And there was an email dialogue that (laughs) I'm not proud of now, but I just, I was angry because people kept trying to like force art school down my throat. I'm like, no, I'm I'm not going to school unless you're going to pay for it. (laughs) That's the only way. Like I'm not going to go in debt with a possibility of doing certain things and, and lose my artistic integrity. And then pretty much be coached as far as what is art. If people like it and it got to a museum, not to be a a pompous person, but I know it it was by God's grace and it was by the talent that God gave me um, and certain connections that I had at the time that allowed that to happen. So I, I felt like I didn't need art school. Am I a fan of learning? Absolutely. I read a ton. Even now, like I'm between two computers, like <laughs> trying to, to do some things. So yeah. I love learning. Um, I'm a lifelong learner and that will never stop. And I eventually will go and get like a master's or a doctorate or whatever, but not because someone's going to tell me to. It's because yeah. I want to. So that's yeah. my biggest thing. Like you can you can get people to do more with love than you can with money or with a command, you know? Yeah, uh, totally. I, I I hear you. I have a complicated relationship with art school because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know my story at all, but I graduated in 2010 with a degree in linguistics because that nice. was my, my family. It was like, you go to school, you, um, doesn't matter what you get a degree in, get a degree in basket weaving, you get a degree. So I, <laughs> my parents said that they'd pay for my first degree because wow. <laughs> education is really important in my family. Mm-hmm. And, um, I decided to go back to school after that, uh, for art, basically, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I mean, we, we're two different paths, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I I went to school for art, but sometimes I I wonder if that was the right decision to make. If I I because I hit the fifty thousand dollar dollar limit and borrowing limit, and I dropped out. Wow. So I wonder if that was the right best thing. We can't. You can never know. Like, you know. Yeah, you can only look back in retrospective. I know of a a young lady. I won't say her name either. But she's an instructor at a Peck School of the Arts. Uh-huh. And her and I had a very brief um, interaction. And then she said, wow, you learned all of this outside of art school. Huh. I wish I would have. I'm like, whoa, yeah. I wish I would have had it on record. But she's a really good artist, really yeah. good instructor. Um, but, I mean, it, we all have our, our blows to take because although mine might not be $50,000, I had to learn a lot and most of my lessons came through pain. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of like totally. way or options. There's yeah. a price to pay for the knowledge either way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, let's get into like, it sounds like this is a natural place to transition into like what exactly you think art is nowadays. Uh, what's your definition of art? Ooh, um there are several definitions. I think the ones that matter on a personal sense is my definition, my audience's definition, and then thirdly, the art market's definition. So my definition of art is um, it's just a reflection of my life, being juxtaposed between light and dark all my life, having a mother who is a missionary evangelist in a very predominantly African-American church that is extremely prolific and very well known in the city of Milwaukee, and being able to meet mayors and politicians and civil rights activists and millionaires. And then on the other side, having my dad, who was a drug dealer, who chose not to be in my life in my later years, being exposed to thieves and gang members and murderers and possible kingpins and all of that. My life has always been black and white. So in my work, my work is predominantly black and white or extremely vibrant in color because For me, that always symbolized my emotions or 
just my passions. So if there's color, they're really vivid. If not, they're just extremely black and white. So my life has always been a tale of two extremes. And uh, also within my spoken word, it's, it's almost like therapy or either proclamations or prayers. So that's kind of been the story of my life. For my audience, they always just tell me just raw truths. That's why they like my work, because there's this raw, uncompromising message or undertone. So they respond to it very well. And the art world at large, that narrative changes depending on who's signing the checks, unfortunately. So many people, so many top tier, blue chip, one to 10% artists, they, it fluctuates. Like there's so many different trends taking place. And this biggest one, the biggest one now is the the art fairs, like the art basels and all. My wife and I got a chance to go um, last year and we didn't even really spend time wow. at the convention centers. Like we went to the the smaller ones, the one-offs, because for one, it's extremely hard to see everything. Yeah. And for two, the neighborhoods is generally where a lot of the really richness is, where as if you go to a convention center, you're going to see the elitist art that and I may get in trouble for saying this from who I don't know, but <laughs> maybe certain people don't want this knowledge to be known. People in the, the art world don't succeed unless they have one of two things. They have people who met them in art school and they supported them throughout their art career and they want to take them to the next level and make their collection valuable. So they make their friends buy their work or someone is willing to do something in order to gain that access. Now, what that could be, could be several things. I saw a lot in California. It could be a casting couch scenario, could be a selling of a soul scenario, lots of things. But you are, you're going to have to compromise something if you want to reach that market, unfortunately. But there are some who don't have to, and the art world generally hates them. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they fluctuate the markets so even if you look at the Smitherbees and the Christie auction houses, there are documented accounts where people buy Picassos or Basquiat's at really crazy prices, and it's to corner that market. So money fluctuates what's popular and what's not. In a, a literal sense, you can trace it, as opposed to something like the music industry or even authors who are trying to self-publish and write books and all of that, like it, it's harder to track. But in the art world, if you're in that world, you can track it. I just do a lot of research and yeah. I know a few people. So that's how I'm able to, to find these things out. That's interesting. Um, that brings up a question for me is, do you have to be in that world to succeed as an artist? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so personally, but it looks like you don't think so either because you're shaking your head and we're audio only. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, violently shaking my head. No, 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 no. Because the biggest thing is, what is your definition of success as an artist? For me, my biggest dream is to impact the world, to be able to take care of my family, and to leave a mark that is positive for, for God's kingdom on earth. And I'm doing all of those things. Would it be nice if I had a billion dollars? Sure. But honestly, I'm all right with where I'm at. So I think... It's a matter of charting your progression. If you have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, or really look at your art career as a business and as a career, um, that's where it starts. And for certain accesses, you're going to have to compromise. And for those who don't, they're going to have to be innovative. So for me, for example, I lived in my art studio that I was not supposed to live in for a little bit. And I was homeless for a little bit, just kind of going through that path of discovery. I would not encourage anyone to do that because I was partially homeless because I was being stupid and just living a lifestyle that was not conducive and God didn't bless it. So I had to struggle and bump my head a lot. But in that time, I discovered a lot of, of loopholes, if you will. So case in point, I like teaching. I do not have an art degree. I went to college a few times. I say a few because I went to three different colleges like once one semester and I racked up a little debt, but not too much. But um, how is it that this person who doesn't have a degree is able to walk into various institutions and have an opportunity to speak, whether it's Marquette, UWM, like wherever? It's because I figured out that the loophole is nonprofits. Nonprofits are 
going through a time where they're constantly like, give us money, give us money, give us money, give us money to these big foundations. And these foundations are like, eh, we might, but we don't want to always give you money. So how are you going to be sustainable? And then these nonprofits are like, uh, uh, and then they use these buzzwords like, oh, placemaking or, oh, artists or all these other different things. So seeing that, I saw a, a formula that could be created where an artist could work as an agent outside of the system and still impact the system and ultimately change it over time. So that's one way that I was able to gain financial stability and still do my artwork and still get my art out and network and all of that. And also just um, doing multi-purpose. Um, I'm actually writing a, an ebook that's going to be called The Law of Multipurpose. The only way that we are going to thrive as Americans, as internationals, is if we really understand this law. Like how do rich people get rich? They compound. So they might have one business that has one form of income and then they start another one. Might take some of that income to start another business and then that eventually makes more and then another one and then another one. So it's the same thing in several different ways. Yeah. It's multi-purpose. So an artist or a person who is not a millionaire can do the same thing. They just have mm -hmm. to look at what their asset is. My asset has always been creativity. So how do I do that? I make a company where I can do creative consulting. I can do filmmaking. I can do spoken word. I can do music production or music. I can do uh, photography for an event or I can do fine art photography. Just layer your creativity so that you're able to, to make a living. So my definition of success is just to be able to employ people um, to help my vision and for me to also be able to help theirs. And if I don't want to pay taxes, I can be really cool and in a sense play how the big people play and do independent contracting up to a certain point and all of that there's so many ways you just have to sit down and just read and and all of that and that's the boring part of it but i mean if you want to live it's yeah. you got to do it you got to go through that process yeah i'm realizing that the traditional path is just not not feasible for back mm -hmm. of a world word or sustainable or whatever the word is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So without all in mind, what do you think exactly is an artist? Ooh, that's a hard question. An artist is a person who chooses to make art or an artist is a person that chooses to create. So for me, coming from a Christian worldview, this is the first recorded act of God. In the beginning, God created that's Genesis 1-1. And those are the first five words of the Bible. So if that's God's first recorded act, that must mean creativity is really important. And we only can control a few things in our, our life. We can control how we react to things and what choices we make and our delivery when we're giving information. So for me, I would have to say an artist is a person that chooses to create because everyone creates. We create schedules, we create budgets, we create children, we create businesses, but people who choose to create. There's a difference between uh, a child who has to do an art assignment and a child that wants to do an art assignment. Yeah, it's great. Huge different. Great. What I'm trying to get to by asking those two questions as like the foundation is like, in today's society, what is the role of art and the artist? Because I feel like we're more spread out, more dispersed. There isn't really one central hub. I don't know. It's sort of like I'm getting it at before, I guess. So what do you think of the role as art is, is today in today's society and, and are the artist? It changes, unfortunately, because you have rich barons that can control that narrative, but they can't control the internet. <laughs> and now you can... Well, that mm, I got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. They can influence the Internet greatly, yeah. but they can't control it um, because content creators will continuously create content and they will have their own platforms and their own movements and, and all of these other different things. So the role of the artist today is to just tell the truth, just tell the truth on a, a realist side and an abstract side to give people an escape into something that is beautiful. Great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was going to go in a different direction, but I think I'm going to keep here.
the internet, I think, is a very complex thing because I feel like I have two thoughts about the internet that are paradoxical, I guess. I have like contradictory thoughts about the internet. Like on one hand, it's a great, amazing way to connect with people. And the other, the other hand, it's very addicting. And it's like you can, you can run into the internet to escape your life instead of actually face it. It's illusion. I forget the word. It's like, I don't know. Delusion of grandeur? No, it's like illusory. Whatever, that word's not important. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, that delusions of grandeur are a good part, way of putting it too, but it's like, it's, it's fake relationships, and it's fake connection, mm-hmm. fake creation. But uh, those are just my opinions, I guess. What, what are your so- some thoughts about, let's continue on down the ro- rabbit hole of the internet. <laughs> I watched this interview of David Bowie, and he predicted the internet in a sense of having a really profound influence on the world at large and the music industry just was like, no, 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 we need brick and mortars. We need digital. I mean, we need physical masters still. We need this, we need that. And he was able to just kind of foresee some things. And a few other people have been able to do that as well, like Prince and uh, Michael Jackson, Tupac, all these people. And they laid certain clues. Success always leaves clues. That's what I was told. So I think the internet is always going to be um, under scrutiny, but it's never going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Never. They're laying cording on the floor of the ocean from one continent to another so that the whole world can be connected. The internet is never going anywhere. It's only going to change form at this point. So just looking at the music industry, the music industry is fighting really hard or was streaming. But now the Grammys have made a clause where if an album is released under streaming only, it's up for grabs for a Grammy. Like it could possibly win a Grammy. Wow. That that's insane. So for people who are uh, used to buying a tracks or records like vinyl or CDs, streaming is like the big brother of the music industry like you can't fight it it's only going to get bigger so for an artist look at this time as as the higher-ups often do where there's chaos there's opportunity galleries are scrambling to try and figure this internet thing out some galleries are able to make sales from instagram but so are some artists Mm-hmm. So why would an artist go to a gallery? Yeah. Hence why they're scrambling because they're trying to figure out what's the formula, what's the niche. And technology used to change every two years. Now it's changing every two months. Soon it's going to change every two weeks. Then it's going to be every two days. So it's it's just a matter of where people want to fit into it. And what's cool is that you can really monitor your audience in a sense of they can have influence on the process versus presenting something and then that be it. I know the Milwaukee Art Museum, they have a really good youth program. And uh, I heard Dan Keegan, who was the director of the museum, he spoke. And one of my last times seeing him, actually, uh, before he left for New York, he said that um, the youth are really profound to me because they're realizing that museums aren't about objects anymore. They're about experience. And even to the point of studying their own era, because art tells the tale of an era. They say that people back in the day, like in the old Renaissance time, they collected art. But nowadays, people collect people. Look at Twitter. Look at Facebook. Look at Instagram. They collect people. I'm like, wow, that's very interesting. And it's true. It's very true. Uh, there's so many ways I could take this. Like, <laughs> let's see, you just mentioned about the audience. So how have you managed to build your audience? <laughs> oh, man, slowly. Yeah. Very, very slowly. There came a point in time where I could put something out and I just knew like it wouldn't reach anybody. Now I put something out and I get to watch the fun happen. I get to see the shares. I get to see people engaging. I get to see all of this stuff. And it, it just blows my mind, like how far I've really come from just being this artist who was just hungry, willing to do almost anything for a career and then to have people actually respect me. I don't take that for granted at all. And that stuff makes me work even harder because I know of artists, or I'll, I'll say this, I've been that artist who was starving. Mm-hmm. 
I want that narrative to change. I want the whole yeah. starving artist uh, stigma to, to really die. I want artists to be able to collaborate with big institutions um, and not be bought by them in a sense of them changing their idea, but actually collaborate and partner with big institutions. So you are a part of the, the Bucks tailgate thing. Yeah, um, I that wasn't able to go this, this last year, though, but... <laughs> Yeah, the the first one that took place, it just really spawned out of a conversation. And I had about a week to put it together, but it was cool. Yeah, some opportunities. And it's kind of a sidebar. I hate, hate, hate with a passion. I hate being late personally. Mm -hmm. And I hate when other people don't respect time. So if an opportunity comes to me and it's like, oh, well, blah, 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 this opportunity is coming uh, next week or in like two days. I'm like, ah, and just out of principle, I'm like, no, I'm not going to take it. But then I would hear God say, like, you might want to take this one. And when I would take it, something really great would happen. So I've learned that I've just had to be open. And the Bucks thing, they we talked and they weren't really expecting it. And they didn't have much of a budget for it. But out of this idea came a community mural and an artist marketplace. And it's such a paradox because I have cousins I have a cousin who is a professional soccer player. And then there's me. I'm an artist. I'm not athletic. I can run. I can lift weights. I can play a little basketball, but I'm not athletic in that sense. So to bring arts and athleticism together, that's so funny to me. But that's just kind of a sidebar. But I I believe that it made a really great impact. And it started a continuous dialogue with the arts and the Bucks. And it wasn't just because of me. I was just the connecting factor to all of it. Because had you and Della Wells and other artists not been able to to do that, it would have just been a community mural. And that would have been it. Like, we did something historical. So publicly, I would like to thank you for being a part. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I I was happy to be able to come. Unfortunately, um, I did not, I was not able to go this last year. Different reasons that yeah. we don't need to go into. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Yeah, anyway, I, I just, I'm reading this book right now, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Yeah. And that thought that, like, it's sort of coming together with what you're talking about, the voice of God. How do you distinguish between that? And I'm not Christian myself, so I don't really understand all this stuff. But how do you distinguish that in the voice of the ego that's always telling you to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Because I'm... I think I have more Buddhist leanings than anything, but... Man, i tell you this. Um, I've, I've studied several religions, but the difference is with Jesus, this is actually a relationship. Like, I can audibly hear him, and I audibly hear another voice as well. And it's generally telling me to do bad stuff, so I often liken comedy as an art form. You can hide so much truth in comedy. And people don't bat an eye at it because you're making them laugh. But really, there's an undertone of truth. So I look at the content of cartoons, where we would grow up seeing these funny cartoons, and then there's this person who has a choice to make. And then there's an angel on one side, and then there's a devil on the other side. That's really true. Mm -hmm. It's really true. There are only two voices that are external, and then there's your internal voice that most would say is your subconscious, like Joseph Murphy. Uh, the Power of the Subconscious Mind is a very good book. Um, it's my second favorite book. First is the Bible. But um, <laughs> I distinguish the differences in the delivery. The, the delivery of God is, is warm, is loving, it's convicting, it's sure, it resonates within my whole body. And then there's this other voice that seems very dark. And it'll make suggestions that are that are not conducive for helping other people for one. So if we're talking about the third voice, which would be our own, our flesh, like we wrestle with this idea of of love versus lust, um, of ego versus humility. Della Wells told me something that was really um, life-changing for me. She said, don't believe your own hype. She said that in 2013 to me, and I've never forgotten it. Um, Never believe your own hype. Because you can get to a point where, and I hate to bring this up, I'm not sure if you're a basketball fan, but I was really rooting for the Warriors, but I saw something in Steph Curry that really made me sad. 
I saw him using old tactics to win new wars. You can't do that. He's doing behind the back passes and then basically throwing the the ball outside of uh, the court, hitting uh, the people in the first row um, to a point he got too comfortable. Like, granted, they made history last year. They made history this year. But history is for naught without victory. And their own team stated that. So um, just making sure that I'm not prideful um, and really checking myself and having people who can check me as well. People who aren't artists. Some people are lawyers. Some people are people in the hood. Um, people who can just look at me and they can tell me the truth so that I don't get puffed up in my own right. I hope I answered your question. Oh, no, that's great. I, I uh Yes, sort of, <laughs> in in a sense. I mean, how, like, are there any, like, daily practices or rituals you do? Do you, like, probably, you, I'm going to assume you pray, and that might be, like, a form of meditation? Man, I pray every single day. Um, I pray within my heart. I pray out loud. I pray corporately with other people. I'm a deacon at my church, so I do a lot of, like, intercessory prayer. So interceding on the behalf of others and stuff. If I were to say, like, biblical meditation is different than, like, other forms of meditation. Like, we meditate on the Word of God and how that impacts our life. And the Bible says that God's Word is living and true, and it's alive. So if I were to speak God's Word on my situation, and I've seen it happen, like, things will change. Um, I was at Juneteenth, just as an example, and... Uh, there was, it was really hot. It was really hot yesterday. And um, the sun was just beaming down. There was no clouds. And there was a young lady who uh, passed out from a heat stroke. And I just walked by her. Um, I didn't see that whole situation unfold, but the paramedics got her. She was okay, from my understanding. I was standing next to this woman. And all of a sudden, her daughter just like leans and she's stiff. Like I saw her hands and her hands were like this like shaking just like this. And then uh, she's, uh, her mother's crying out uh, to the cops that were kind of close by on bikes, help, help, she's having a seizure, she's having a seizure. And um, it, was, it was surreal. I just start praying, praying immediately. And I'm like, Lord, help her, Lord, touch her, Lord, heal her, Lord, heal her. Um, and I kept praying that. And then I began to see her like awaken a little bit. And they got her some water, she was able to rest. And then they got a paramedics for her. So to be able to see that, that was nothing of me. I was just a conduit of God's power, and I was able to see that. So um, to meditate for me is to to put my faith in action. So I'm be under- wondering why I'm asking these kind of questions, just because for me, what, we, what we've been talking about is like art is what you're passionate about and what you're interested in. It's you, mm-hmm. and this seems to be something you're really passionate and interested about is your religious side. So I feel like if we were not to, to go into this, even though it might be uncomfortable for me because I'm not a religious person per se, it, it would be dishonest artistically, I feel like. You get what I, I'm saying? Yeah, I appreciate you making room for it. But <laughs> to be frank, I definitely would have talked about it either yeah, way. Yeah, I, I understand. Because I, <laughs> it's, I know it's you. a part of me. Yeah. I just – I – I grew up in a very um, non-religious household, let's just say. Uh, yeah. my, my, my mom's family is Jewish and my father's family is... Really? Yeah. Wow. So I'm technically Jewish. <laughs> you aren't technically Jewish. You are Jewish. I know I am Jewish. Wow. I, my grandma's family is... My mom's family is Jewish. My, my dad's family, I don't really know what kind of Christian they are. Because mm-hmm. I was going to be going to temple when I was, um, when I was a kid, but apparently I cried. So much, so much that they, they took me out of Sunday school. Oh. So I was raised Unitarian Universalist, actually. Mm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I've heard the term before. It's basically, um, you can believe whatever you want to believe sort of thing. Mm. Um, in Sunday school, I don't remember. My parents felt more, it's, it's a hippie religion, sort of. It feels okay. like. Do good. I, I don't really know much because I grew up that way, but I, wasn't, I haven't really done much with that since then. You know? Okay. Um, okay. Do I want to share this on the public? Publicly? Okay, I will. <laughs> uh, my dad passed away almost four years ago um, in his oh, sleep. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I was the one to find him in the morning. And he loved to go to the church every every Christmas. 
and I haven't been able to go back because of too many memories, but I've been wa- wanting to, but I don't know. You should. It'll bring closure. It it's will. N- it's not Jesus-centered, cause it's, but it's more, I don't know. I, I haven't, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to go to get into this. It's not about me. It's about you here. <laughs> no, no, it's about uh, the truth. Yeah. And this is a part of the story, so it has to be yeah. told, you know. I, I appreciate you sharing that because I know that stuff's not easy. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's not easy at all. I appreciate your transparency. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah, everyone has their own story, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating to find out other people's story. I mean, I, I don't know what your struggle is like because I'm not an African-American, but I can empathize, you know. I can, I, there are so many different stories out there that I can empathize with. And I feel like, um, I don't know. I, God, I don't mean to get uh, all this stuff on the air. I might edit this out, but <laughs> I might not because that will be more true. But mm-hmm. I've always felt like in the middle because I'm like between the Jewish culture and the Christian culture and like the non-culture and like, you mm-hmm. know, because well, my parents, they wanted to get married. My mom's, uh, um, because my dad was not a Jew, mm-hmm. their uh, rabbi would not marry them. So they had to find a new rabbi. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's a form of like persecution. It is like. The Orthodox um, Jews are like yeah. really, yeah. And so, um, wow. I have family members that at my dad, my grand- grandfather's funeral, he died a couple of months before my dad died. And wow. they would not acknowledge my dad. They wouldn't even look at him. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's intense. Yeah. So it's not the same as anyone else's, but it's that's part of my story. Yeah. Um, one thing that unites us is the human experiences. It can have pain. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that all people can empathize with, like a mother and childbirth or a man saying goodbye to their child because they're going off to the army. Like it's there's pain, but there's beauty in it as yeah. well. Because after that mother gives birth, like there's a beautiful baby that's staring at you. And I'm not a woman, so I don't know if this is true, but I believe it is because I hear it a lot. Um, Once a woman gives birth and they hold their kid, like they forget about the pain. That's what I hear. I've never given birth either. (laughs) So yeah, I I don't know if I ever will, but that's another story. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I got to find the right guy first and then we'll see. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Back to art. I feel like art is humanity. You know what I mean? Like it's the part of mm-hmm. us that feels so we connect with each other. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, I definitely so. agree with that. So leaning into the discomfort and the pain and everything, that's part of the role of being an artist, I feel like, in this day and age. Yeah. I was uh, listening to this guy, this rapper. His name's Seven. It was spelled S-E-V-I-N. And he says, um, you can't spell paint without pain. I'm like, whoa, that's very true. Like It's simple, but it's so true. So true. Like we come into this world with uh, experiences to be had. And some of those experiences, although they are painful, they are to make us go through the refiner's fire so that we can come out purer than gold. So that value is only going to come through that pain. And if you run from that process, you may never manifest who you truly are. And I think, although this isn't biblical, they say the, excuse, I need to rephrase this. I'm sorry. The Bible says that um, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. But I believe on a personal standpoint that wasted potential, God really hates people or not people, excuse me. God hates wasted potential he may love that person but to waste potential it's ah there's something to that um so i prayed once and this is one of those be careful what you pray for be careful what you ask for i prayed like god i want to leave this world with nothing not in a sense of um possessions but i want to make sure that i leave everything on the line. I leave everything on earth, every gift, every talent, every 
everything. I just want to leave it all there because if you gave it to me, I have to give it to, to the world. I have to give it to someone. So whether it's one person or one billion people, I don't want to go to heaven with anything that I didn't give. And that's why I'm tired a lot because <laughs> I do. I give my, my best for good or for bad. I, I definitely try my hardest. So whether it's positive output with my art or whether it's a more darker narrative that leads to the truth, my pain definitely is a part of my process, as is my joy. That takes a lot of courage. I'm just starting to realize that I need to put more of myself in my art. How do you go about doing that? Like not being afraid to tell your story and put yourself out there. Several reasons. Your audience is only going to respect and reflect truth. So the reasons why these memes took off is because, again, comedy and truth. You can hide so much in comedy. You have to be willing to go out on a limb and just tell the truth because so many people deal with politics. They deal with surface stuff. They deal with the status quo. They deal with being politically correct. People just want to be people. They just want the truth. And if that can be presented in the proper format, people are going to respond to it because we live in an era of lies. We live in an era of distractions. We live in an era where people say one thing and do another. So for someone to do the truth and to say the truth and to live it, people are going to respond every single time, for one. For two, it's easier to live, like to not have a what if mentality. Like, what if I did this? What if I did that? What if I wasn't scared? What if, like, you only have one of two options. You can either live free or live in fear. There is no middle ground. And even those who are free, they may have moments where they are apprehensive or scared, but that's where courage comes into play and they still go out on that limb and they continue to have greater freedom because of it. Um, the truth doesn't bind you. The truth frees you. That's great. I'm really connected with what you're saying today. This is going a little longer than I thought it would. Are you good with time? I got like four more minutes. Okay, so I'll give you a chance. I have more questions I want to ask, but I'm going to give you a chance to promote yourself and what you're doing right now and how, ask people, how people can, can uh, support you uh, with what you're doing right now. I plan on releasing three new books this year. I released one last year called Memoirs and Visions. And it actually was born because publishing houses didn't know how to package it. And they were trying to tell me like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. Why don't you release them as three separate books? I'm like, no, put them together and just self-publish. So Memoirs and Visions is autobiography, a book of poetry, and also my portfolio. And I plan on releasing another one this year, Memoirs and Visions 2, because I had a lot of life uh, happen right after Memoirs and Visions 1. So that's one book. There's another book that I'm excited about called The Law of Multipurpose that we talked about uh, sparingly in this interview. So that's coming. And then I have one more that I can't talk about yet, but it's going to come uh, as a package to something else that I'm uh, exploring creatively. And I'm very excited about that one. I got a few other things I can't really talk about, but... There's a lot that's about to happen, and I'm really excited about it. If people um, want to find you online, where would they have to go? I have a website, cmperceptions.com, C-M-P-E-R-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-S. My social media presence is one of two things, either CM Perceptions or CMP underscore Art Life. I know that's my Snapchat, my Instagram, but my Twitter and my Facebook, they're just CM Perceptions. And also my YouTube. I'm going to start posting a lot more videos as well. Lastly, working on a few documentaries. So that's cool. And yeah, that's that. Yeah, and then I have one last question that I'd like to close the interviews out with. Uh, so the name of this podcast is The Curious Artist. Mm -hmm. uh, what, are, what as an artist are you curious about right now? Oh, that is a really good question. Man, I'm always curious about me. Um, not to be narcissistic, but humans change so much over the course of their life. You go from something that, or some person that can't even walk to running and shouting commands and telling people no, to having your own thoughts, to thinking that you know everything, to being humbled in your 20s, to realize that you don't know everything. And then like, there's so many trajectories that you um, take 
to become adults. So work that I'm doing with uh, Running Rebels and Andre Lielis' program, We Got This, and just various programs that I'm, I'm creating, um, it always makes me look back at myself um, because the artist reflects the world around them. They process that information and then they create art based upon their interpretation of it. So I... Curious about me, curious about the the world that I live in, the world that um, I've come from, from gunshots every night to being able to influence and be a voice of reasoning to you who are going through that same situation. It's just really weird. It's surreal and it is a blessing. Another thing that I'm curious about is politics. Strangely enough, I do some city work with the Bronzeville Advisory Committee as the youngest member, if I'm not mistaken, of this mayorally designated committee, like the first of its kind, if I'm not mistaken. So that's been very interesting to learn how things really move and tick. And then also see that on a national scale, the the spectacle of politics, the the politics of politics, and to realize where there is money, there is politics. So that's been very interesting to me. Lastly, and when you're married or anyone who's listening to this, who's gotten married, Joe, empathize with me. Um, when you get married and how people are just like, so you're going to have kids? It's like, man, we're at the reception. Like, what are you talking about? Are we going to have kids? Uh, I plan on God willing having kids when I'm 30. So I have a little time since I'm 26. But to actually be in a position where you have God given approval to have kids. It's one thing to say, I love children because I do love children. Um, I love teaching children. I love studying children. I'm always curious about children. I guess that's one more thing I can say, but to actually be able to create your own child, like that's not to be like cliche and all, but that would be like my greatest creation and to spend the rest of my life making that into a masterpiece. That's, that's beautiful. You know, and to have or to be what I didn't have, what my one of my little sisters didn't have, what my little brother didn't have, which is consistency and stability in a household. That's wonderful. I'd be willing to die for that, to give my children that. So, yeah, those are the things that I'm curious about. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like to support The Curious Artist Show, please share it with a friend or someone you think would enjoy it. Thanks again. Have a nice day.